0: You know, out of all the qualities of God that we were created to express through our lives, um, I believe creativity has to be central. God didn't make us to be robots. Um, I I know for a lot of people it would be easier if the Lord just ordered us to, for everything that we're supposed to do and not do, but he didn't create us to be like. He created us to be like him, which means that he created us with sovereignty. And so even though the Holy Spirit directs us and leads us and helps us work through stuff, it pleases the Lord when his sons and daughters come into maturity and can make mature choices based on the values that he's established in us. And uh, But God is the creator, and he created us to be like him. And when you read the first two chapters of Genesis. Uh, it's pretty hard to read that in my mind and not come away with the idea that, you know what, the, a central aspect of who God is, is creator. Yeah. And if he created us to be like him, he created us to be creators. He created us to be creative. I did this thing uh, recently with a few folks. I gave them the names of three companies Uh, one local, one national, one international. And I said, what do all three of those companies have in common? And he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, I'll tell you. They're all over the top, creative, and successful. And they're all owned by left-wing radicals who don't know the Lord. So why do those who don't know the Lord have more freedom to be creative than the sons and daughters of the king? Who are called to be a reflection, an expression of who he is. Why aren't the Josephs and Daniels emerging in the church today, in our generation, what what is it that has restricted and limited us when it comes to expressing the creative life of God. And you Now, I've been in the American church for a long time. And, and I can tell you the mentality in a lot of churches is, well, the creative people, those are kind of the, you know, the flag wavers, you know, the painters, the musicians. But the rest of us aren't called to be creative. We're not creatives. And you know what? I don't think that's true at all. I think no matter what you do, no matter what your role is, no matter what your job is, carrying the creative nature of God is central to your assignment. And when, when you're not free to create, to, to think out of the box, to be the one that comes up with creative solutions, uh, then, then we're not going to lead the the uh, The culture at all we're going to be a following, which is what we've been doing too much of. In fact, in uh, uh, probably the middle part of the 20th century, the church actually withdrew from culture. Well all that stuff's evil. you know we're, we're not going to be involved with that. Politics is evil. education is you know that's, that's the devil's domain, you know. Uh, the media, that's the devil's domain. And so the church actually withdrew. And then now we're wondering how we can catch up, right? Because the salt... Before, before judgment comes, God removes his people. I don't think it was God that removed it, the people of God from culture. I think it was the religious spirit. And I think it's the same religious spirit that, that keeps us suppressed in our creativity. And I think the more that religious spirit controls the people, the less creative we are, the less free we are to express our creativity, let me put it that way, and the more perversion starts seeping out because creativity suppressed manifests in perversion. Which is why the darkest of the religious cultures have so much perversion that is hiding under their cult- in their culture. It's because creativity is being suppressed and they're not free to be the creative people that God made them to be. And so I believe the spirit of religion is, is diametrically opposed to the creative expression that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into our life. You know, I was raised in a culture where we were taught that the imagina- your imagination is evil. Yeah, your imagination is evil. Uh, casting down imaginations, which is really a, a bad translation. It should be casting down arguments. And so we, we were raised with the thought that your imagination is where the devil gets a hold of you. Not realizing your imagination is actually the canvas that the Holy Spirit expresses your creative life through. And so, if the Josephs and Daniels of our generation can be released, find the freedom to engage in the creative process of the Lord. Let me me take that down just a little side road here. If your job is a drudgery to you, you are under a curse. I'm just saying. The curse that came on Adam after sin wasn't work. God already put Adam to work before he fell. It was work becoming a drudgery to him. It was him losing his purpose, losing his ability to creatively express who he was through his work. If your job, and so let me say it again, if your job is a drudgery to you, you're under a curse. I didn't say God cursed you. I said you've allowed yourself to be under a curse. Because your work should actually be a place where you can express the creative life of God that is in you you should be the one coming up with more answers in your workplace than anybody else. You should have more solutions, more favor, and more of, of the um, influence. Because, you know, I, learned, I grew up on a farm. And I learned on the farm that no matter what size the container that we put the milk in, the cream always rose to the top. And the cream is God's people. Supposed to be. And if God's people are sour, who wants to drink that milk? Right? Maybe you should have an altar call now. (laughs) Whether it's in business, in government, in media, in entertainment, in education. In horticulture and agriculture, in the medical industry, in family and social health and healing, in church and missions, in every one of those areas, we should be leading the way in creativity and innovation. Because we are the only ones that can truly operate in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That's not talking about a religious standard of perfection. It's talking about maturity, becoming whole, complete. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Let's highlight that because we're going to come back to that faith toward god doctrine of baptisms laying on of hands resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and this we will do if god permits so those he identifies six foundation stones that have to be laid in order for god to approve and give permission to proceed further it's like putting up a building you get a permit and then when you've finish that part of the job, it gets inspected and approved so that you get permission to to proceed to the next phase of the project, right? And God's kind of the same way. And if those six foundation stones are laid, then these corresponding experiences will happen in your life through it. For it's impossible for those who are once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, Have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Then he says, because, and he explains it. The earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes on it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it's cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. So, you need to understand God doesn't go around cursing you when you fail. That's not what he's saying at all. He draws a comparison with the earth which is blessed or cursed based on what kind of fruit that it produces. And our bodies come from that earth, and so the same spiritual or natural laws that apply to the earth apply to us. We come under a blessing or a curse based on what we produce. And so Christians who never cultivate the ground that they're given and produce good fruit find themselves struggling and battling and being in torment and, and struggling because they're not being fruitful. And so their land, their body, their life doesn't receive the blessing that those who engage in fruitfulness experience. Is that making sense? And, and if bad fruit comes out of your life, then, then you're going to be struggling with a curse. Not because God curses you, but because those are the laws that he put into this planet when he created it and us. So verse 1, the first thing on the list is the foundation of repentance from dead works. What does that mean? Well, Paul's writing to the Hebrews, a Jewish people, and they were under a very strict law of Moses, religious law. A lot of similarity between that and how some of us were raised. They went through many rituals for their sins to be covered. And their life was very controlled by laws and ordinances with harsh penalties for disobedience. That, that sound like the culture some of us grew up in? So repentance from sin was already front and center in their religious culture. And the laws and ordinances that they observed controlled their actions and made them accountable for them. But it had no power to change their hearts, their thoughts, or their desires. So the first foundation stone for them was to repent, which means to turn away from dead works, the rituals that failed to deal with the root issues. They had to turn away from those things in order to embrace something better. And that had to be done first before they could, before they could truly serve God by faith rather than by works. So dead religious works bind us and blind us from all that the kingdom offers. Hebrews 9 verse 9 says that it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. I really want to hone in on this, not just today. Because so many of God's people are battling with a guilty conscience. Are being uh, accused by the accuser of the brethren. It says, that was only concerned with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. So all of those religious rituals and laws that we learned could not cleanse our conscience. And that's a really big deal. Because if you're, if you're battling with your conscience and you're hearing the voice of the accuser condemning you, it's going to be really hard for you to move forward into your kingdom purpose. Romans two fourteen and 15 says this, When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having a law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts either accusing or else excusing them. Many believers are still stuck here. They've received forgiveness, but their conscience has never been cleansed. So they're constantly hearing the voice of the accuser. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, and just remember, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people who've already been forgiven. They've already been born again. He says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not the same thing. The enemy, through bad theology, wants to keep this from happening. If he can keep you tormented in your mind with a guilty conscience, he can keep you immobilized and you'll never enter into the... the place of fruitfulness that you could be entering into what am I talking about a guilty kind I'm talking about that thing that keeps you from sleeping at night That thing that reminds you of things way back there and, and the trick of the enemy is to keep God's people in denial that's under the blood and, and so we're in this wrestling match with the devil over things that he's accusing us of which is no recipe for success. Extreme grace teaches that we don't need cleansing. In fact, there's an aspect of it that says we never did need cleansing because it even denies original sin, that we were born sinners. But inside of us, there's something that's going on and you can't trick your conscience into believing that. You can try all you want to, but if you're being condemned, if you're being accused, you need to follow God's process to silence the accuser. And in Revelation 12, it says that, that, that we overcame the accuser of the brethren by how? The blood of the Lamb. Knowing how to... Knowing how to exercise the, the blood of the Lamb in our life. And, 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 and an aspect of the blood of the Lamb working in our life is silencing the voice of the accuser. By the word of our testimony. How many people are going through life hiding their testimony because there's still shame attached to it? Right? And by not loving their lives and the death. In other words, we're still trying to prop up our life in this world rather than having laid it all down for him. So there, the three keys are right there. They overcame the accuser of the brethren. Now, now let's go back to, to Hebrews Chapter 9. And let's go to verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now listen to this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to worship the living God? The blood of Jesus has not done the work that it's intended to do in your life if you're still battling with the accuser all the time. If you're still, no, devil, I'm forgiven for that. That's under the blood. And you can go through the rest of your life just in this this defensive battle against the devil and not win unless you realize what the blood paid for and apply it where it needs to be applied. Your conscience when it is condemning you, is actually informing you of what needs cleansing. Let me say that again. When your conscience is condemning you, it's actually informing you of what needs cleansing. No matter how often you've asked for forgiveness for something, if if, if the record has not been cleansed, the accuser still has legal ground to accuse you. Let's go there. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 25, Jesus gives us a key. He says, agree with your adversary quickly. Ooh. You want me to agree with the accuser? Absolutely. What do you got to be afraid of? The blood of Jesus was poured out To cleanse your record. You don't need to go deny that you're guilty of the things he's accusing you of. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. And there's a lot of believers that are in that prison. Constantly being accused, constantly being condemned. And they're in a prison within their own head, their own heart. And the enemy is just making hay and keeping them ineffective by keeping them under a cloud of guilt and condemnation and shame. So, are you willing to enter into this process with me? Are you understanding what, say, Holy Spirit... Show me what I have a guilty conscience about and what the enemy is accusing me of. And just allow him, allow your conscience to highlight things where you've been battling. I'm going to agree with him quickly as the scripture says. just just keep following through this with me okay this is between you and god i take responsibility for the things that i did that the accuser is condemning me for i'm asking you one more time for forgiveness And today I'm also asking for a cleansing. I offer up the blood of Jesus as my payment for that sin. And for how that sin hurt others. I offer up the blood of Jesus on their behalf. Lord, would you remove the negative effects of my sin from their life? And let cleansing come to them. I remit that sin from my life and theirs. And I ask that you would reverse all the effects. I ask that you would use that to bring them to a place of healing and breakthrough like you're doing in my life. Now you're standing as a priest on behalf of those people who are hurt by you and your old self, your evil twin. Holy Spirit, would you lead them through a process of cleansing, just like you have me. If there's anything that you want me to do to correct anything in their life because of my sin, I ask that you show me. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse their conscience and mine. Holy Spirit if there's anything else that I need to have cleansed for my record so the accuser no longer has ammunition to use against me would you show me would you set me free And would you connect me with my kingdom purpose and remove every weight, every sin, and every hindrance so that I can fully live into all that you've assigned for me? Jesus' name. And I declare the voice of the accuser silenced in your life as you've brought whatever he's accusing you of under the blood and as you've interceded for those who are hurt by your actions. Whatever he's condemning you for, let him be bound to silence now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you bring fire on our life as we present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice? Let all of our inhibitions, our hang-ups, and our limitations be blown away by the power of the Holy Spirit. Tell us what to say, and we will say it. Tell us where to go, and we will go. Tell us what to do, and we will do it. We're committing ourselves to obedience to your voice. Command all shame to be broken off of you in Jesus' name. Let everything that's been brought to the cross be completely removed from your record now, so that the record of transgressions is removed and the accuser no longer has any legal ground to accuse you. Let him be silenced. Let your conscience be cleansed. And whenever your conscience troubles you about anything else, you know what to do. Instead of denying, ask the Lord, okay, Lord, I want that cleansed too. I offer up the blood of Jesus for the cleansing of all of that. The only perfect sacrifice that cleanses the conscience from all dead works so that we can live our life in your presence, Lord. So that we can serve you fearlessly and fulfill all that you've created us for. Thank you so much for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You good? If you'll take that key, you'll live free of accusation. Amen? Just make sure you don't let the devil pull you back into what the Lord sets you free from. But if you do, he'll set you free again. Maybe that wasn't part of your theology, but it, the Lord proved it in my case as he delivered me from smoking when I got saved. A couple years later, I fell back into it. And a little while after that, he set me free again as sovereignly as he did the first time. His grace doesn't stop just because you screw up. Amen? He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Amen? Okay, let's stand. Father, we're grateful for the blood of Jesus. Lord, we're asking for an amazing Mission Sunday. I ask the Lord that we would all devote ourselves to your heart for the nations and that we would serve you with all of our heart, whatever the role is that you call us to. And we bless you for that in Jesus' name, amen.